So while we're doing things a little bit differently this morning, our scripture reader is not here, but she's still going to read for us. So um, some of you may have had the privilege of meeting Kimbler Johnson, who's Matt Johnson's mom. Kimbler is doing her own recording of the Bible. And so Matt had the great idea that she would read Genesis 39 for us with her recording, and we're going to follow along. Uh, the recording is in King James Version, but on the screen it'll be ESV, but that'll be a good mental exercise for you to see the nuances on the difference between the two. All right, so Matt, whenever you're ready. Genesis chapter 39. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And Yahweh was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that Yahweh was with him, and that Yahweh made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of Yahweh was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person, and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, Lie with me, but he refused. And said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotted not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Yahuwah? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to those words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought in unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But Yahweh was with Joseph and shewed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. 
The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because Yahweh was with him, and that which he did, Yahweh made it to prosper. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many of you have heard of the marshmallow test. You've probably seen the video. I'm not going to show it again this morning, but they put a little kid in a room by himself, and they put a marshmallow on a plate in front of him, and they say, hey, I'll be back in three minutes, and if you don't eat the marshmallow, I'll give you more. But if you eat the marshmallow, that's it. That's all you get. And, of course, about 40% of the kids eat the marshmallow because when do they want it? They want what they want now. And what's, it's a funny little video, but it's so, so true. This is really like a microcosm of the Christian life. Do you want to live for now, or do you want to live for what's ahead? Do you want to settle for less now? Or do you want to deny yourself instant gratification and get more later? That, that, that's what, it's not only the microcosm of the Christian life. That's the same choice that a lost person makes. Do I want to control this few years here on this planet Earth and let it be mine the way I want it and then spend eternity separated from God? Or do I want to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Christ so I can have eternity in heaven with him? And you see this illustration all throughout Scripture. Adam and Eve, right? A fruit now? <laughs> or, you know, paradise for as long as you, 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 for living forever. It's all about control. Who do you want to be in control? Jacob and Esau. You see a, a bowl of soup. Do you want to have your birthright where you have the, the better portion of the inheritance? Or do you want to have something that fills your belly right now? And Joseph faces the same situation in this story here. He can have a moment of pleasure right now, or he can please God. And so, back in, we're actually going to go back in time here in just chapter 39, because in chapter 38, we left off with Joseph being how old? Anybody remember? 17 years old. But then it tells the story of Judah, which takes 20 years. So when we go to chapter 39, Joseph's not 37 it backs, up to thir- it backs up to 17. It tells his story, but then it starts with this. Now we're telling Joseph's story. And that's the way we tell stories. You know, if somebody says, hey, Gary, tell me about your kids. How are your kids doing? I could say, well, Adrian did this, and he went to mar- college, he got married, he has these kids, blah, blah, blah. And then I could tell you about Jessica, and I go back to when, in time to when she went to college. I didn't pick up where Adrian's life left off. So we tell that, that's the way we normally tell stories, and that's the same is true in the Bible. And yet skeptics will look at this and say, wait, look, the timeline's all mixed up. I'm like, no, this is the way people normally tell stories. So someone, be a little inactive, we'll be a little inact, interactive this morning. Someone tell me, instead of me always telling you, what is a chiastic structure? Who would like to do that? Go ahead, Seth. Yes, very good, very good. So it's like a sandwich, right? And so what's at the beginning of the story will be repeated at the end and so forth, okay? And there's an amazing chiastic structure here in this chapter as well. The whole chapter is one great sandwich. It's structured a little differently, as you'll see, than normal chiastic structures. But it begins with the Lord was with Joseph, and it ends with the Lord was with Joseph. And that's so important because Joseph's going to go through heck right now. <laughs> He's going to go and it, through, he's already been through a lot of situations. Remember, he was his dad's favorite. His brothers didn't like it. He was given the colorful special robe, which meant he's basically going to be treated like the firstborn. So forget you older brothers. And then he has on top of it these dreams that say that not only are my brothers going to bow down to me, but so is mom and dad. He's really ticking the family off. He makes his brothers so mad they throw him in an empty cistern or an empty dry well. And they're thinking they want to kill him. But uh, Judah says, no, no, we won't make any money if we kill him. Why don't we sell him? But then someone takes him out of the pit, the Midianites, before they do, and sells him to the Ishmaelites. And they don't even get to make the profit of it. So he's gone from a pit to being pulled out, to being sold into slavery. And so now he's a slave, but he's promoted as a the superintendent of the slaves, where we pick up on this story. But the Lord's with them through the whole time. And that's, if you don't get anything else out of this morning, if you take a nap after this, get this. 
that even in the bad times, the Lord is with you. Okay, You can be walking with God closely in, in the worst of times. Don't think, oh man, where was God when my wife was dealing with cancer? Where was God when we had a miscarriage? Where was God? God, if you're walking with him, he's with you through all those things. It doesn't mean that those bad things will not happen. It goes on to talk about how in the, that the, his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him. And then later we see in the prison, the prison keeper sees that God is with him. So other people are seeing this. And then the structure continues with the Lord caused all that he did to succeed. And of course, it ends with the same success. And then it talks about how God, he was put in charge of everything. The beginning of the story with Potiphar, the end of the story in the prison. And then it moves towards the whole idea of, of Potiphar's wife seducing him. And she makes the same request, lie with me, lie with me. And then what's in the exact middle of the story? That he refused and he wouldn't listen to her. And so the chiasm tells us what's the main part of this, this, this story? Is that you're going to be tempted and what your, your job is to do is to refuse. Your job is not to listen and we'll see how he did that. So that's what's at the, the crux of this story. So chapter 39, we're going to break it up into four parts. There's the testimony of Joseph and how how godly of a man he was. There's the temptation of Joseph. There's the trap set for Joseph. And then finally, we'll see the tenacity, how he overcomes all these problems. So now Joseph, in verse 1, says, had been brought down to Egypt. It's interesting to follow the geography in the Bible. You always go down to Egypt. Now, it is south, but also it's from elevation, from Jerusalem to Egypt or any other direction, you're going downhill. But it's a metaphor for spiritually. Anybody know what Egypt is a picture of in the Bible? Generally, what's, what's Egypt a picture of in the Bible? Somebody know. Do you know, Brother Seaton? It's a, it's a picture of the world. It's a picture of the world. Yeah, Brother Stan has it. Don't be shy. Y'all speak up. So when, you're, when you drift into the world, okay, or when you go down into the world, and so Jesus came from his throne, went down into the world, right? But also from Bethlehem, where did his family flee to? They fled to Egypt, right, during his toddler days. And then there's a guy named Potiphar, which his name is interesting. It means one devoted to or came from the sun. And of course, who was the sun god in Egypt? It was Ra. So it means he's like literally the son of Ra, okay? And it's interesting, the, the, the comparison is, here's Joseph, a child of God, and here's Potiphar, a child of the sun god. Of course, we know the true son of God is Jesus. Now, here's where I learned something new this week, and let me throw this out here for your consideration. It says he was an officer and a captain, and it's not being redundant because the word officer here is usually translated eunuch. What do we know about eunuchs? Well, some are born that way, according to Jesus, because of deformities. Some are made that way by surgery and by the hands of men. Now, why would you want to surgically make someone a eunuch to castrate them? Well, if you're a king or a pharaoh and you have a harem, but you have bodyguards to protect you, you don't want your bodyguards or any of your officers messing with your women. So they do something surgically to the guys so that they can't mess with the women. Now, but what's really weird about this story is Potiphar has a wife. So is he that kind of eunuch? Now, some people think, okay, and this is, there's, there's credence to this, that, the, that it was so common for any officer in the king or queen's court, because remember the queen of Ethiopia, Candace, she had a eunuch. Remember, he got saved in, in Acts chapter 8. And so we, it's so common that all of them were castrated or made eunuchs that it just, the words became synonymous. It's kind of like the word martyr. In the first couple centuries, people who spoke up for Christ who testified for Christ, were called martyr. But it was so common that if you spoke up for Christ, you got killed, that the word became someone who spoke up and died for Christ. But not every martyr died. And so not every eunuch was castrated. But we don't know. It, was, it would make sense that Potiphar's wife is looking for satisfaction elsewhere outside the marriage because, well, her husband took this job and that came along with the job. Maybe it happened. Maybe he was 40, 50 years old. And he gets offered this job, and he comes home and says, hey, I can make a ton of money, but here's the deal. And she's like, okay, go ahead and do it. I like money. Who knows? We don't know. We can only speculate. 
but it could add a little spice to the story there for sure. So he's, he's, he's basically the head of the secret service for Pharaoh. He's in charge of all security in the palace and all that. And so um, it also says he's an Egyptian. You would think, well, duh, of course he's an Egyptian. No, that's really important at this time because there was a group of people who invaded Egypt around this time. And they were called the Hyksos. And they actually took over the government. And they infiltrated, because there was a time of division where the, the government in Egypt was very fractured, kind of like America today, divided between red and blue. And so the Hyksos came in and just kind of took over and took over and created the 15th and 16th dynasties of Egypt. And they were, became the ruling class. They looked an awful lot like Egyptians. So there was like really no distinction. And they did that for a couple of hundred years. And so they would usually use their own people to rule. But in this case, they say, hey, you know what, though? We like Potiphar. He's an Egyptian. We'll let him rule with us. So that could be the way it is. Also, the Egyptians looked at, they had different ethnicities in their country. They didn't all look the same. They had people who were more of Libyan descent, Nubian descent, Asiatic and Egyptian. And so it basically could be saying that, hey, Potiphar was the guy on the far right. He was like an Egyptian Egyptian. You know, and so we don't know which one it is, but we know that he was different in a, in a way as far as from Pharaoh. But the Lord was with Joseph and he was with him. Now think about this. We know with God, we have three big words that begin with the letter O. God is, what's the word for God is all powerful? Omnipotent. What is the word for God is all knowing? Omniscient. And what's the word for God is everywhere? omnipresent. So when you read in the Bible, the Lord was with somebody, we'll think, well, of course he's with somebody. He's everywhere. No, that's different. Let's say I go to an event or, you know, this afternoon I go to a restaurant. I'm gonna, today, this afternoon I'm going to take uh, Tone and Pen out for lunch. Y'all be thinking about where you want to go. Give you some good choices here. I could walk in and the hostess sees Tammy and I go, oh, two? Or actually it'd be Isaiah and Caleb would say four. And I say, actually, you know, six, they're with us. Now, there's a lot of people standing in the line that were with them, but these people are with us. You see the difference there? We're together. And so people who are rebelling against God, is God around them? Yes. But is God with them in the same sense that he's with you, someone who's walking with Christ? No, it's not the same. So God is, is commending Joseph's lifestyle. He's with him. He's not in broken fellowship or anything like that. And he became a successful man. You're like, How? Man, I wouldn't want to be that kind of successful. I mean, yeah, he's in charge of other slaves, but he's still a slave. And God's like, I measure success differently than you do. There's going to be tough times in your life. And many of you already had them. Young people, you got many of them ahead, okay? And you're going to wonder, where's God? And what I'm telling you is God can and will use those tough times to shape and mold your character. How do you purify gold? You put it through the fire. And, and, and many of you are, gonna, are in the fire or you're about to be in the fire and you have to realize that God uses it all and that you need to praise God for all of it. So he was in the house. He was basically the attendant to all the affairs going inside this palace, okay? And Potiphar's palace is adjacent to Pharaoh's palace, as we'll read later. And he's, he's a servant, so he's not saying, well, Maybe someday when I get out of this house and I don't have to be a slave anymore, then I'll be successful. He was successful in the difficult times because God measures success differently. God measures it that you be faithful in whatever he gives you, even if it's not your first choice, second choice, or third choice. Joseph never would have been chosen to have chosen to be thrown in a pit. He never would have chosen to be sold into slavery. He never would have been chosen, he never would have chosen to, to when he was growing up and he had these dreams that everybody's going to bow down to me, this is not what he had in mind. But he's being faithful in that situation, and that's how God measures success. So when the master saw that the Lord was with him, think about that. How does someone see that God's with you? Didn't hear it. We don't see anywhere where Joseph's going around preaching and talking about you know, everything and talking all religious. He's seeing it by the way he faithfully works without complaining. How he faithfully serves and has that servant lifestyle. And because 
that, of that God caused all that he did to succeed. <clears throat> What's interesting is you can have two people putting in the same amount of education, put in the same amount of effort and work ethic, and yet one of them just seems to be frustrated going nowhere like a hamster in a wheel, and the other person seems to be succeeding. What's the difference? God. God's, God can open and close doors. You've seen that in your own life. Patrick, how many times have you been, because of the nature of work you do, have you been unemployed? Quite a few times. Quite a few times. And then, next thing you know, you get these jobs and you're doing really good. And it's the same Patrick. It's the same Patrick in the situation, you know? It's because God opens and closes the doors. It wasn't like, well, all of a sudden Patrick's less educated or Patrick's less of an engineer. You know, we, we have to make sure that when we succeed, who do we give the credit to? Give the credit to God. Always be thankful. Don't ever think, oh, I've arrived. Look, this is how I got here because I'm so smart and I'm so talented. God's the one who causes success. We know some really intelligent, hardworking people who are not succeeding, and God has a purpose behind it. So Joseph found favor. This word is often translated grace. Found favor or grace in, the sight, in his sight, okay, and attended him. And so he... Joseph's attending to the needs of Potiphar, and Potiphar is like, wow, I like this guy. Again, that's something that comes from God, as we'll see. And it says, and he made him overseer or superintendent of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And we say all, he really means all. As you'll see in the chapter later, which we already read, there's only two things that, that, was, that Joseph wasn't in charge of. What Potiphar put in his mouth and his wife. Everything else, Potiphar's like, I have no idea how much I have money in my bank account. I don't even know how many employees I have. Joseph runs all that. That shows an amazing amount of trust, and he put him in charge of all these things. Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes. We see this phrase all throughout the Bible. We also saw that Noah found favor or grace in God's eyes. Moses found favor in God's eyes. Ruth found favor in Boaz's eyes. David found favor in Saul's eyes, at least for a while. And then David found favor in Jonathan, Saul's son's eyes. Jacob, uh, Joab found favor in David's eyes. And then Esther found favor in the king's eyes. And this is where that, fa- that phrase is over and over in the Bible. Eight times where you see people or either finding favor in God's eyes or in a ruler's eyes. But in every situation, it's someone in higher authority having favoritism in a good way towards someone in a lower position. Put, make a mental note of that because that's important. Hebrews 4.16 talks about us that let us with confidence draw near to the throne, a higher position where God is, that we, people in a lower position, may receive mercy and find grace or favor to help in a time of need. We have to see ourselves as totally dependent peasants in need of grace from a sovereign king. And that's the picture that's being presented here. So Joseph it's, it became the overseer, basically the superintendent, and he put him in charge of all these things. So when you trust in God completely, others are more likely to trust you. It's great to have that kind of employee. It's really great to be that kind of employee, to be it that yourself, to be that you're on your own. And there's not, that's not very common these days. You know, to be able to hand someone the keys to your business, the keys to your house and say, hey, take care of all this for me and to be trusted. And it, and it runs in line and it seems to be coincidental with how much you trust in God. God puts more into your hands. So it says from that time, and so it, there, it means the phrase here in Hebrew means a specific point in time. It was a marked difference. Like you could draw a line that when, when all of a sudden, when he put Joseph in charge, whew, everything shot up. I mean, he could see from that point in time, he could point to the day and time that here before Joseph wasn't in charge, and all of a sudden he is in charge, and man, look at everything in my house. Everything is becoming better than when I ran it myself or whenever I had someone else in charge. So the Lord blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. And see, isn't this the promise of God, the Abrahamic promise through through your seed, all the world will be blessed. And it's starting here with Potiphar's house. Think about who you work for. 
can they say, even if they're a lost person like Potiphar, can they say, man, my business is better because I have so-and-so as an employee. Our neighborhood is a much nicer place because we have this Christian family as neighbors. Do your grandkids say, man, because my grandparents are Christians, I feel like I'm blessed. We need to be that kind of impact on the world around us. In fact, what area was Joseph in charge of? What was in the house? But notice the words here, they're important. He blessed everything in the house and in the field. The blessing was actually overflowing out of the house into the fields where Joseph wasn't even in charge of. And God was showing the blessing there. David Guzik, a theologian, said, think of the contrast between Joseph and his brothers. Joseph was a slave, but yet he's the one living like he's free. And the brothers are free, but they're slaves to their secrets, their shame, and their guilt. They're living with the lie that they told their dad that their brother is dead. And so who's really the free one? Joseph is. What a contrast. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. What's your testimony to those around you? Joseph had an amazing testimony. Here, in spite of difficult circumstances, he could have said, you know, well, I'm really just suffering from PTSD. You know, I was traumatized by my brothers. And if you have PTSD, I'm not making fun of that, okay? It's a real thing. But Joseph had this. He had this real thing. I'm mistreated by my brothers. My dad thinks I'm dead. I'm a slave in a land hundreds of miles away. I just really can't seem to find the motivation to get things done. But he says, no, I'm going to press on. I'm going to persevere. I'm not making any excuses. And when you overcome those obstacles, people should see a difference. Chuck Swindoll said that life is 5% your circumstances and 95% how you react to your circumstances. You could be dealt a bad hand of cards and you could say, well, you know, I'm I'm persecuted, I'm discriminated against, I'm this, I've got this disability, whatever. Or you can just say, you know what? Everybody's got problems. Let's just work through them. Let's find a way with God's help and by the grace of God to overcome. So now we're going to come to the second point, the temptation of Joseph. So now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, which is in modern day, he he was good looking, had a nice body, okay? And uh, who else does this describe? Who else did we just read about a few chapters ago that fit the same description? His mom, Rachel. Remember, she was beautiful, had a nice body as well. In fact, Joseph was so good looking. Archaeologists have dug around and they found this picture of Joseph right here. Just just kidding, okay? So then after that time, and so time has passed here. After a time. So when Joseph was sold into Potiphar's house, how old was he? 17. If you do the math, and I didn't do it, I'm just trusting commentaries. 11 years has passed. The teenage little boy, skinny little dude, is now 28 and all buff and good looking. Okay? And so now Potiphar's wife's going to take notice of him. In fact, it says she cast her eyes on Joseph. She didn't just say, hey, wow, that kid's good looking. She's like looking, longing, lusting, starting to make plans. And she approaches, propositions him and says, lie with me. You know, not just take a nap. There's more activity involved. And this is important here. Job 31.1. Job says, I have made a what? what? What is that word right there? Covenant a covenant, a binding contract with my eyes. And so therefore, because I've made this contract that I don't want to look and lust and long after other people, how could I then gaze at a virgin? How can I sit there and stare and dress down, as they used to say, a a young lady? That would be wrong because I would break the covenant I've made with my eyes. Now, whether you're male or female, you need to do this. Now, men our brains are wired differently. We are more stimulated by sight than we are, but that doesn't mean women are not. We all need to be careful at what we look at, what we gaze at, what we long for. And now we live in a day where we've got pornography right in the palm of our hands if we want to. Men, you need to, there's a, an app I recommend it if you have a problem with this called Covenant Eyes, and you, it'll watch and monitor everything you look at your phone, and it, and it sends the report to you for friends and say, hey, here's what this person's looking at. 
So you, you would think, man, I can't do that right now because my friends will be saying, hey, what are you looking at right now? You know, and so we need to be careful about that. We need to, it's like some of the love songs that I only have eyes for you. There's a reason for that. God has made you to be wired for one person and not let your brain start looking and lusting after someone else. Jesus talked about this. He said, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's one thing for someone to walk by, it's good looking, and say, wow, that, that girl's pretty. But it's another thing to keep looking and looking, and when you start get thinking in detail, then you've crossed the line. And the Bible says you've committed adultery in your heart. Now, one guy told me years ago, he said, well, if you've committed adultery in your heart, heart you might as well go ahead and commit the act because you're already guilty. I'm like, no. Nobody gets pregnant from adultery in the heart. Nobody gets STDs from adultery in the heart. There's a whole lot more. Nobody gets divorced over adultery in the heart. Okay, so don't. You're just making one sin and then making a sin that's a hundred times worse. So don't do that. But it is a sin. I've heard guys say, "Well, just because a man's full doesn't mean he can't look at the menu." And all kinds of ways, you know, quaint ways of trying to dismiss this as a sin. It is a sin. Women and men, we need to watch our eyes. We need to be careful what we look at and what we lust after. <clears throat> it says, but he refused. He refused. Remind you that the center of the chiasm is Joseph refused. He will not listen. He's in a tough situation. But not only did he refuse, it says, and he said no, basically. So the refusal and the words are two different things. He's basically like, no, no, don't. Get away from me. And he's physically moving from her, but then he's verbalizing his ref refusal, and he says, because, I have a reason why. And he, have a long, he has a long list of reasons why he's saying no. Because of me, my master has no concern about anything. Do you realize that you wouldn't be living as luxurious of a lifestyle as you're living, Mrs. Potiphar, if it wasn't for me? I'm the one that is causing this place to prosper, and I'm doing this for your husband. How can I do this to him after all he's done for me? And he has put everything that is in my charge. <clears throat> in fact, when people walk in, they realize he's not greater than me in this context. doesn't mean he's the boss of him. It just means Potiphar, people say, hey, what are we doing this afternoon as far as our work? Potiphar, I don't know. Ask Joseph. He was actually submitting himself to Joseph within the household in a way that he's the one who knew what was going on. And nor has he kept back anything from me except you. And here's why. Because you are his wife. I don't care if he's a eunuch or not. That's between you and him, if that was the case. I don't care if you guys have an open marriage and you're like Will Smith and all that trash. I don't care what your thinking is. As long as you're married to him, I'm not messing with you. And by the way, you have to be married to me because Joseph knew that, that was the right thing to do. In an Egyptian culture, open marriages were a common thing. They just, you just didn't talk about it. You kept it as secret as possible, but they kind of all knew that what was going on. And for, to borrow a weird phrase, for Egyptian women to be cougars was not a big deal. And so this is what's going on in his life. And I'm not talking about Houston cougars. So how then can I do this? Look at what he calls it. Not just a wickedness, not just a um, what, indiscretion. Not just, he doesn't play it down. He calls it wickedness. And he takes this to Father. He says, it is a great wickedness. This would be a horrible thing. And so therefore, that great wickedness would be towards your husband. And in the culture, I don't care what your Egyptian culture is. In my Hebrew culture, in the way I've been raised, this is wrong. And it's also a sin against God. Notice how that works. Sin affects people this way. And sin affects this way. Your relationship with others, your relationship with God, that's why Jesus died on a cross, to make you right with God, to make you right with others. So that you, and he died for the sin that affects others and the sin against God. So David, I mean, Joseph, Joseph does not mince any words. It is a great weakness and it's a sin against God. People nowadays have all kinds of moral failures and they have justifications for it. And the Bible says it is a great wickedness. So, and as she spoke to Joseph, you see, women, you have a great power over men. Your words mean an awful lot. They can do a lot to propel your husband forward and feel like he's the king of the world. You can do a lot with your words to tear him down. Women can do a lot to entice a man. 
or to encourage him to be a godly man. Your words are more powerful than probably even men. Men like to sweet talk girls as well, but women's words are powerful as, as much, if not more. Proverbs 7.21 talks about the prostitute and talks about how with seductive speech, she persuades this guy, young man, this young foolish man. And with her smooth talk, she compels him. Watch carefully your words, ladies, that it doesn't come across as flirtatious towards someone who's not your husband. And you can use those same words towards your husband, and you should. So she spoke to him day after day. What a tough work environment. <laughs> he couldn't report her to HR for sexual harassment. He's a slave, okay? Who's he going to report her to, Potiphar? I mean, it, that's going to get him in probably more trouble. But she's persistent. She's ongoing with this. And imagine being in his situation. He's 28 years old. He's good looking. He's single. And he's got this probably an attractive woman. If she's married to someone in in high government, I'm sure he chose an attractive wife. And she's doing this, pursuing him and propositioning him. And she wants him, watch this. But he said he would not listen to her. He would not lie beside her or even be with her. He's like, I'm not going to have sex with you. He's like, no, I'm not going to have sex with you. I'm going to avoid you. I don't even want to be in the same room as you. He's avoiding, he's doing everything he could to not even be around her at all. So let's think of the ways that he says no. He definitely said no. He made it very clear. And he said no physically. The Bible says he refused her and he said. So his, his, his refusal is physical. Then his refu- refusal is verbally. And then he said no. Well, let me back up on the, the verbally. This is where I've heard when I've counseled couples that have had failures in their marriage. The person who is being pursued by someone who's not their husband or wife will, will be too polite to that person. And they'll be like, you know, no. I, and they'll say, well, I just didn't want to cause a scene. No, you know what you need to do? You need to cause a scene. Let me just tell you, women, if, if, you're, if someone is pursuing you in the workplace or maybe even in public, I'm telling you right here, right now, a great plan would be, I told you I'm married. You need to get away from me. <laughs> and just watch that guy turn six shades of red and walk away. Okay, you don't say, well, I don't want to cause a scene. No, no, you should cause a scene. Okay, and I don't think Joseph was afraid of that. He made it very clear physically. He didn't just walk away from, he verbally told her emphatically, this isn't happening. He said no loyally. He's like, how could I do this to Potiphar? Look at all that Potiphar has done for me. How could I stab this guy in the back? I am loyal to your husband. I'm not going to betray him. He also said no logically, like, I've got a sweet gig here. I mean, I, whatever, I, whatever I tell people to do, they do. I could probably eat whatever I want. I probably have the best quarters of any of the slaves. Now, again, he's a slave, but he's got a great situation. Logically, this makes no sense. Why would he throw all this away for a moment of pleasure with her? It, and think about that. When you are in a compromising situation, you need to somehow get it together and think logically. Do I really want to do this to my wife? Do I really want to do this to my husband? to my kids, to my church, to my friends. The ripple effect goes farther than you think. Think logically, and you need to think logically beforehand, not when you're in the heat of the moment. <clears throat> he also said no ethically. This would just be wrong. This guy has given me so much. Uh, what, two businessmen shouldn't even do this to each other. <clears throat> Why would I do this? This would be this ethically wrong, and it would be morally wrong. You are his wife. That is immoral. I don't care if the Egyptian culture condones all this immorality. I don't, okay? And the, the day we live here in America, think about that. Think about how much immorality is being condoned. In fact, is anything immoral? I don't, can you name any activity that isn't somehow protected under the, the alphabet soup of LGBTQAIZYXNN? I don't know. It's all being condoned. And then they say, well, you know, messing with children is, 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 is off limits, immoral. Um, not for much longer. There's an organization called the NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, has thousands of members, and they are trying to legalize and lower the age of consent for boys to like 11 or 12. That's called pedophilia. It, it is a great wickedness, but yet our culture is like anything goes, whatever you want, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't call it immoral wrong. Joseph had standards. He said no morally. And then Joseph said no spiritually. How can I do this great wickedness to your husband and how can I sin against God? 
if for no other reason than that all those things on the list, you need to say no to immorality because of God. Now, does God not want you to have sexual pleasure? He definitely does want you to have it. He's the one that created it. It's all his idea. But he has a time and a place and a person for it. And in that context, it's when it's the most beneficial, it's the most satisfying, and we need to trust God for that. And we need to save ourselves for that situation. And then finally, he said no consistently. Day after day after day, she pursues him. Day after day after day, he says no. And if you want to take a picture of this, you can. That's a great list there. I wanted to stop with seven because seven is a great number, but the text revealed eight, so I went with that. All right. Then we see there's a trap set for Joseph. And you might be thinking, wait, really? Here he's doing the right thing. He's saying no. He's doing all this stuff. And now God's still going to allow this to happen? Yes. Not every. You can be walking closely with God and bad things can happen. Okay? It says right here, but one day, and that's all it takes, is one day, one day where you let your guard down, or one day when you keep your guard up, bad things can happen. He went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were in the house. Okay? Imagine where you work. Let's say there's 34 employees in the building you work at, and someday you work, you show up, and there's nobody in the building but your boss. Now, again, I don't want to read too much into the story, but let's say Joseph's young and naive. Should he have gotten a clue? Wait a minute. She's been pursuing me, and all of a sudden, all the guys I'm in charge of, we don't know how many, 15, 50, they're not here, and she's here. Maybe he was youthful and should have known better. I'm sure if this same scenario appeared again, he'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going right back out the door, okay? And again, maybe he's totally innocent in the situation. Don't want to read too much into it. But none of the men who are supposed to be in the house are in the house. And she caught him by his garment. She grabs him by the clothes, whether maybe from behind or up front, whatever. And she makes the same request again. And watch the three things he does. He leaves his garment in her hand. Now, it doesn't mean he ran out naked, okay? He had an outer robe, which would mark him. At, that would be obviously him. When people saw it, it was almost like a uniform. And then he had his undergarments, okay? Nothing close to underwear, okay? It was usually an outer robe that you wore. But he left that in her hand. Let me tell you something. When you have to run from sin, sometimes you have to leave something behind. And it may be a whole lot more than your outer coat. I, I remember when I was a pastor down in Clute, Texas, I had two couples coming to me for counseling, and both were struggling with affairs going on. And one of them, the husband, I told him, I said, you know what? You need to quit your job. You need to quit. You need to go get another job or you need to get transferred. You need to do something. He's like, oh, but I've got a lot of tenure there and I'm all those things and, and I'm going to do it for another promotion and I don't know if I can find another job that makes such money. Eventually that couple got divorced. Another couple that I gave the same advice to, that Monday he put in for a transfer and the person in HR said, you know what? Usually people have to wait months for transfers, but we've got an opening in Pasadena. You could start there the next day. And he was moved, and he avoided the affair that was, that was the emotional affair that was developing. It was about to be in the physical affair. And so God will open the door. And you may have to leave something behind like he did. And then it says he fled, which means he ran. He didn't just walk away from her and say, hey, you know, I don't want to cause a scene here. He bolts out of there, and he got out of the house. He got out of the situation. And again, to avoid sin, we need to get out of certain situations. In 2 Timothy 2.22, it says to flee to run from youthful passions. Now, some people will teach this passage, say, you know, it's, it's youthful as in, here's what teenagers deal with or young adults deal with. It, it's, it's not talking about the type of passions of the age group of people it applies to. It's talking about the passion itself. When the temptation is little and young, that's when you run from it. Y'all remember this movie here, The Gremlins, okay? And then here's a cute little gremlin. It looks like it's harmless. You could pet it and you cuddle it. And the Bible says this is what sin is like when it first starts. It looks like it's fun and cute and cuddly, and everybody should have one of these. And, you know, the Bible says you should run from it because it, and overnight it's going to turn into this. And that's what it's going to do. And that's what sin does. And people look at you and say, oh, how could you run from that? Come on, everybody does that. It's because you know as a Christian it turns into this quickly. And the Bible says you run from it. If you're in a situation, women, men, 
where an emotional affair is developing, you're talking to someone a little too much, a little too nicely, man, you need to run from that. You need to cut it off and say, hey, you know what? This is going in a direction I don't want it to. I will be businesslike to you, but I prefer you email me. But I, I don't want to really have face-to-face conversations right now while we're doing this. And you say, well, you sound like such a prude. You know, you sound like a Puritan. You know, you're sounding so old-fashioned. Do you want to save your marriage or not? Do you want to protect your purity or not? We need to run from sin while it's still cute and cuddly before it takes us over. It says, and then when you're running, start chasing something else while you're running. Pursue or chase down righteousness, faith, love, peace. When did David get in trouble with Bathsheba? When he wasn't out in battle like he should have been. In a day when kings went out to battle, David stayed home. I hear so many stories over and over again. It all started when I was bored. Get yourself busy with righteousness. Get yourself busy with being, building your faith, loving other people, pursuing peaceful relationships. And you know how you do it? You run from these sins and you pursue these good things with other people. Sounds like life group to me. Get yourself in a life group, in a small group, in a Bible study, in a women's book club, whatever it is. But pursue Jesus Christ and your relationship with other people. Don't be a lone wolf that just says, oh, I got this, I'm going to do this by myself. Read the Bible with other people. Pray with other people. Get yourself in a group of believers and pursue those things along with those who call on the Lord. So as soon as she saw that he had left his, house, left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called the men of her household. Okay, all y'all, 34 guys, come back in. <laughs> okay, I think she's the one to arrange for them to get out of the house. All right? And again, that's my guess right there. And she said to him, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. Well, who did he, who did he uh, scorn? Her. But she's going to spread the misery to everybody else and make this. She's doing politics here. She's trying to get everybody on her side. Make it sound like he's against all of us. He's a Hebrew. We're all Egyptians here. And he's our enemy. And she's trying to get people to join her in her cause. And she said, and I cried out with a loud voice. And I could see one of the guys go, you mean the same loud voice you just called us back inside with? I don't remember hearing that. <laughs> I heard you when you said come back in. But I don't remember hearing you cry out with a loud voice. If you're, if you're a monk here and you're a detective, you probably would have picked up on that clue. And say, wait, there's some inconsistencies in her story. Anyway, um, and as soon as he heard that, he lifted up my voice and cried out, and he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. So Joseph tried to rape me, and I cried out. Of course, none of you heard that. You only heard when I called you back into the house, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And then it says, it's interesting here, she laid up his garment, Joseph's garment, okay? The one that smelled like him, that she like. It doesn't say she just set it on the bed. The word here, laid up, means like she held on to it for a long time. Like, you know how the Bible says, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven? You might th- is that treasure supposed to be there for a little bit? No, it's been there for eternity. She put this there until his master came home. We don't know if she slept with that thing for days or weeks or how long it was for Potter, but it was like this treasured thing that she kept there. She, she just idolized and still fantasizing about this relationship with Joseph. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant, now she's bringing race into this, okay? She's trying to treat him as if he's less than human. Who you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me, to mock me, to make fun of me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, and let, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant, see, she's throwing him under the bus. Kind of sounds like Adam. It's the wife you gave me, right? He, and so he, she's blaming him now because you brought this guy in amongst us and he's making fun of all of us now. She's making a broading it here. She plays the political game here. And it says that his anger was kindled, period. doesn't say his anger was kindled towards Joseph. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I think if you read between the lines here, I think he's ticked at her. Man, my best employee... And I have no way of believing you. But now you've spread the word to everybody. And now I've got egg on my face. I look bad in front of everybody. I'm going to have to do something about this. 
And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison. Who runs the prison? Potiphar. Potiphar's the head of security. Who does the executions in Egypt? Potiphar. Anybody who messed with a, a government official's wife, it was death penalty. Potiphar doesn't give him the death penalty. He could have. He was the one to do it. He knew. I believe he knew this didn't happen. My wife is my wife. She's a wild woman. But it all looks bad right now. I've got to do something, but I don't want to kill Joseph. Joseph's gold, but I've got to do something. I've got to get him out of here. And so he put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. And I, and I, I used to think maybe it's the king's prison, kind of like federal prisons for like government officials who do crime. They go there, and they still get to lift weights and watch cable television and eat nice meals. That was not this at all. In fact, Psalms tells us about what David went or Joseph went through. It says his feet were hurt with fetters. In other words, they, you know, fetters, the, the bindings around your ankles with chains, to hurt someone with fetters means you put some on them that are too small. It's crushing the flesh. It was painful every day, all day. And his neck was put in a collar of iron. This is how Joseph's treated for being the best employee Potiphar ever had. So wait a minute, I thought you said the Lord was with him. He is. God's people go through difficult times. God's people go through cancer, divorce, bankruptcy. We go through a lot of things, but the Lord is with us, and God is using all those things. And God is using these fetters and, and the collar of iron on Joseph to make him the godly man he wants him to be. And, and that's a, an amazing testament to the, the sovereignty of God. So we saw this amazing testimony of Joseph. We saw the temptation of Joseph, the trap that was set for Joseph. And now we come to our last point, the tenacity of Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love. We never read anywhere where Joseph says, well, God, if this is how you love me, I don't even want to love you. Joseph never complains. Joseph never fights back. God loved him in the chains. God loved him when he was in the dry well. Dry, God loved him when his brothers were hating on him and beat him up and threw him in there. God loved him when he was sold into slavery. You think about what you've been through and what you're going through. And I'm telling you, Romans 8.28 is true. That God works all things together for his purposes to those who love him. God is using all those things, no matter how hard they may seem to be. So the Lord doesn't show his love for Joseph by taking him out of the prison, but by loving him in the prison. Be careful about bargaining with God and say, well, God, if you love me, you give me out of this job. God, if you love me, you give me out of this marriage. If God, if you love me, you'd heal me of this. Don't bargain with God. Accept his providence. Accept his sovereignty in every situation. He can love you in that situation. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Here we go, deja vu all over again. Joseph, because of his good attitude, his work ethic, his tenacity, he's climbing the ladder again. And yes, it's a ladder in a prison, just like before it was a ladder in a household as a slave, but nonetheless, he is being blessed. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there. Does this all sound familiar? He was the one in charge of all of it. Just like Potiphar, all 2.0. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in the, Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. If Joseph had a bad attitude, I could see where some of this wouldn't be succeeding. Even if he was working just as hard. I remember uh, one of my kids had a job that they hated. And every time I'd call them while they were off at college, they'd complain about their job. And, they'd, and I'm thinking, you got a job for one. <laughs> and it's actually, you've told me it's a pretty well-paying job. So you're able to keep up your school payments and things like that. And I finally told them, I said, you know what? Maybe God is trying to say, if you would just be thankful for the job you have and stop asking them for a better job, that you'd be happy. And I think they took that to heart because later they got a better job and they stopped complaining about the job that they had. Again, life is 5% our circumstances, 95% how we respond to it. 
Proverbs 24, 16. Man, if this doesn't describe Joseph, for the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Knock me down, I get back up again. Knock me down, I get back up again. I think Chumbawamba made a song about that for your 80s kids, okay? But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. In other words, they get knocked down and they stay down. They get knocked down and say, oh man, times are too tough, I can't do anything. And they make all kinds of excuses. Consider all the ups and downs of Joseph's life. I am my dad's favorite son. Look at my coat. My brothers hate me. I'm in a pit. Oh man, I'm up out of the pit. Thank you, Midianites. Oh no, I'm a slave to the Ishmaelites. You sell me to, to Potiphar's house. Oh, but Potiphar exalts me. But then his wife accuses me and I'm back down in prison. But I work my way back up to the prison. Up and down and up and down. You talk about a roller coaster. If anybody had an excuse to just say, hey, I am out of here. I am deconstructing. I don't like living this godly Christian life. Joseph had a reason to say that. But not one complaint. Nowhere do you read anywhere in Genesis. There's more written about Joseph than any other character. Not one complaint. How does someone do that? How does someone go through these tough circumstances? And I think anybody in the room here would have a difficult time saying your situation was worse than his. How does someone like Joseph not complain at all? The answer is they embrace the sovereignty of God. They don't just accept it. They don't just acknowledge it. Oh yeah, God's sovereign. They embrace it. God, I'm thankful for what you're putting me through right now. I believe Joseph said, God, thank you for these chains. And while I wish Potiphar's wife had not done that, Lord, if this is what it takes to make me more like your son Jesus, then I embrace it. You see, you are more like Jesus when you're suffering than the other time. Because what was Jesus' greatest act for mankind? To suffer for us. And so don't run away from suffering. Job said it this way, Naked I came in from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You acknowledge that the Lord, everything you have is from God. When you stop acknowledging that it's from God, and you think somehow I've earned all this, you're, you're setting yourself up for a fall. You acknowledge everything comes from God, therefore God has a right to take any of it away, and no matter what he does, whether he gives or he takes away or a weird combination of the two, I will bless his name. I will give thanks to him in a hard situation. Lots of parallels to Jesus in this. They were both beloved by their father. And this isn't all of them. This is up to this point. They were both promised authority. They were both hated by their brothers. Jesus and Joseph both foretold the future. They both were raised from a pit. They both were sold for silver, one for 20 pieces, one for 30. They both lived a life of serving others. They both resisted temptation. And they were both falsely accused. But the most important thing of all that makes Joseph like Jesus is they both embraced the sovereignty of God. They truly believed that all things work together for good. Jesus did that. In the garden, he was praying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup, referring to the death on the cross, remove this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is a prayer that we should pray every day, several times a day. God, this is what I want, but if you choose differently for me, if you choose a more painful path for me, not my will, but yours be done, embracing the sovereignty of God. God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ embraced the sovereignty of God, that this was the Father's plan, that he would die for us. Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? In Romans chapter 10, it says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, just like he raised Joseph from the pit, he rose, uh, brought Jesus out of the pit of death and raised him again on the third day. When you trust in that, as your only substitute for your sin, you're saved. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this amazing life of Joseph. But Lord, he was only amazing because you are. Your Holy Spirit filled him and guided him and made his heart strong so he could go through these amazing ups and downs 
extremely difficult times. Lord, I'm sure there's times that Joseph could have said, this is not fair. I didn't do it. I am not guilty, and yet I'm being punished for it. But again, that's how he was like Jesus. Jesus didn't cry out that it was not fair, but he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, I pray that if there's one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, they'd give their life to you, and they would accept the free gift of salvation that you offer for what you did on the cross. And we thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. If you want to know more about how to be saved, please call me or contact me. Or if you've made that decision, please let me know. Uh, we're going to do a time of question and answer right now. So if you um, would like to uh, um, text in your question, you can do that right now. It looks like we may have someone already in. Um, wow, this is interesting. I don't know if I know this one. Um, the question is, what are your thoughts on God being omnitemporal? Temporal. I need that he's throughout, he's eternal. Well, yes, but that he exists in the past and the present all the time. Okay. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so I would uh, change the statement. Not only does he exist in past, present, and future, he exists outside of past, present, and future. So if God created time, then he exists outside of time. So that's why the skeptic question is, well, who was before God? You're using the word before when God created the whole concept of before, during, and after. So there is no before God because God created time. And what's interesting, I learned this yesterday, in fact, um, Apologia Radio, if you ever get a chance to listen to that, Jeff Durbin, great. I don't agree with him on everything, but he's really good. He does a lot of street evangelism. And he was witnessing Jehovah's Witnesses. And he took them to John chapter 1, says, in the beginning was the word talking about Christ, the word that became flesh. And that phrase, in the beginning, means as far back as you can go and beyond that. So he's saying Jesus has always been. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created at a point in time. So when they say Jesus is eternal, they mean eternal going forward, but not eternally past. But Jesus was before past, present, future, because he was there with God. Um, so it, was there more to it than that, Stacey? Okay, so yes, God is outside of time. And so therefore, it doesn't constrain. So I see eternity as a continuum and, and God outside of that. And so therefore, he cannot be constrained by it. Um, along with uh, being omni, omnipotent uh, and omniscient. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So it almost be like a fourth omni. I, I would, without having given a lot of thought, just at a glance, okay? I'd put the omnitemporal un under the heading of omnipotent. Part of his all-powerfulness is being outside of time. But that's just a thought. I'd have to study further to see if that's accurate, if that's where theologians would classify it as well. What other, uh, any other, anybody else have a question? Um, let me see. Looks, yeah, here's another one. Okay. What if you live in an environment that promotes sin? How do you serve God fully when it may affect your livelihood? Yeah, that's a great question. That, Joseph didn't have a choice, did he? I mean, he's living in an Egyptian pagan household. And if Potiphar's wife wasn't promoting sin, I'm sure everybody else as well, in addition to her. And so sometimes you can't get out. I mean, the easy Band-Aid answer is, we'll quit that job and move on. Sometimes that's an option, but it's not always. So what do you do then? So what you do is you, you, you do what Jesus prayed, Lord, if it be possible, help me get a better job, a different job, whatever. But nevertheless, not your will, but mine. If you keep me here, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that God, um, with every temptation, makes what? A way of escape. So there's a way to say no. There's a way to, to do it. God provides that way within the job. I've been in some bad jobs, okay? There was a time when I was not in ministry for a few years, and I worked in some ungodly situations, and I just had to say no to a lot. But God can use that to be a light shining in a very dark place. I'm kind of cautious about Christians who are always looking for a better job where everybody's a Christian, everything's great, and I'm loving my boss is a Christian. I'm like, okay, so then who are you witnessing to? You know, who are you sharing Christ with if everybody works around you? Again, I'm not saying you should never work in an all-Christian environment, okay? But we should 
purposely see that God does put us to be in the world, but not of it. So can you do it without the power of the Holy Spirit? No. You need to be in the Word and on your knees daily, praying for strength that you not give in to that environment. Great question. Thanks for sharing that. Um, this question is, have you heard about the Titan, Sumerian? Um, the Titan. That's Greek mythology? What's, what? Elaborate for me, Alex. Oh, the, oh, the submarine. Oh, you have Sumerian. The submarine. Yes, I have. I've heard about it. I don't know. Wasn't it supposed to be exploring the Titanic? And it disappeared? I, I, it imploded. See, I, I know. So to answer your question, all I heard about it, I don't even know the details about it. Is there some conspiracy theory connected to it? Okay. <laughs> so that's all I know about that one. Um, no Bible verse for you. Sorry. <laughs> what are you? Okay, that's it. All right. Any other questions? All right, that's good. Oh, right, Charles, go ahead. Titan. <laughs> he say that because it's like my all-time favorite movie. Yeah, if someone has the Amplified Bible in your U version, look it up for me, 2 Timothy 2.22. I'd be interested in seeing what the Amplified says. This will be Gary's Amplified. Uh, Flee from the passion when it's in it, when it, and it, the passion is in its infancy state. Okay? You know, again, you're talking to someone work, and they kind of joke with you, say, well, you're looking nice today. It's like, uh, this is going in the wrong direction. That may be a very small comment. Maybe it wasn't taking it. Maybe it wasn't in a bad way, but maybe it is. You know, I think I just need to not feed this thing and keep having, well, you look nice too. And then, you know, if I wasn't married, I'd like to be with you. And then, no, oh, boom, boom, boom. Man, you should have stepped away from that. Uh, did you find it, Heather? So it didn't really amplify it at all, did it? Okay. <clears throat> so, anyway, otherwise, you look at the context. Um, it's written to Timothy, who is a young pastor, but he's not like a teenager. And these are temptations that apply to all of us at any age. You don't, you don't stop having to deal with lust, temptation when you're out of, when you're in your fifties or sixties. All right. Good question. Any other questions or comments? All right. Let's stand, and we're going to read from Jude verses twenty-four and twenty-five as God's blessing over us as we enter out into this hard world during the week, okay? So let's read God's word with honor. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed.